The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Doctor's Lounge Show with Dr. Hal Schurz. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Every week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber, bring you healthcare information that is important for you to know about so that you can advocate for the healthcare of yourselves and for your family. We discuss the healthcare issues that doctors are discussing among themselves all across the country. The show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. <clears throat> the Docs for Patient Care Foundation stands for the principles of healthcare freedom for all Americans and for the doctor-patient relationship. So go to our website at www.d4pcfoundation.org and please help us to continue to do the work that we're doing by contributing as generously as you think you can. This is an important, important uh, decision for you to make to help us to do our work and do this radio show. It's tax deductible, your your contributions to the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. So <clears throat> please um, help us out and, and support us and uh, read about the things that we're doing. A lot of good stuff coming out of the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. If we have time later in the show or toward the end, I'm going to try to, uh, uh, share one of the, th- one of the platforms, one of the things that our foundation has been responsible for, which is, uh, helping to shape legislation around direct primary care. But today, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about something a little bit different and maybe we'll cover several topics today, but the thing that really got my interest peaked and and uh, and made me want to uh, discuss this issue with you all today is this nonsense that we're seeing right now play out before our eyes again like a bad rerun of a B-movie, which is the masking debate. Um, there, <laughs> yesterday, President Biden gave a uh, Medal of Honor to a Vietnam-era helicopter pilot who saved four of his fellow GIs by flying into enemy fire and evacuating them. And it took a long time for him to get recognized for his valor and his selfless act. But he did, and rightfully so. But that wasn't really the story. The story was about President Biden bumbling his entrance and exit to the stage, particularly talking about his masking before he got to the stage, getting up there, taking his mask off with this elderly gentleman who is a couple of years older than Biden, 
and then shuffling off the stage and the media made a big deal about his lack of consistency with his masking policy, particularly because Jill Biden the other day tested positive for COVID. And so here we are again, three and a half years later, still talking about masking, still talking about COVID. And I ask myself, and I pose it to all of you, what is going on? Why are we still talking about this? We are not in a pandemic anymore. We now recognize that COVID is a virus that is in our biome that's here to stay. Something that I said was going to happen three years ago and for which I took a lot of flack, by the way, even even having the nerve to say something like that. But here we are. People are testing positive for COVID again. But so what? Why are we still testing for COVID? Answer that question, and I will stop talking about this. Are we testing for adenovirus when somebody has a cold? Are we testing for the other viruses? Perhaps we test for flu, but in reality, we really don't test for it. We vaccinate ourselves for it because it's a reliable vaccine most of the time. Some of the time it's not. Depends on if they, if the epidemiologists guess right and they figure out what the most likely strains are going to be that year. And then they vaccinate in the traditional sense of the word with a, a, uh, attenuated vaccine, a vaccine that's made from dead virus that allows your immune system to react and mount an immune response to prevent you from getting the flu. Well, that has not been the case with this COVID regime of vaccines, which are not really vaccines at all. They're, they're an experimental program where they inject a, um, a strand of, of, um, nuclear protein to that, that, uh, will hopefully uh, mount a response that will prevent you from getting COVID. Well, it hasn't worked. We know it hasn't worked. Despite the fact that there are still zealots out there, there are still the, the people who are religiously clinging to the notion that they did work, that they prevented deaths. The same is true with the masks. They're clinging to this this religiosity, this notion that masks actually make a difference. And here we are talking about President Biden. Why is he not wearing a mask? Why did he wear a mask and take it off? Did he put that poor veteran at risk? Well, 
truth of the matter is that this is all still political theater. And it's, it's about power. It's about virtue signaling. Who are the only people who seem to be wearing masks today? If you had to take a gigantic demographic of the people who are wearing masks today, you could generalize and say that the vast majority of the people wearing masks are Democratic women who are virtue signaling to the rest of us how great they are, how virtuous they are, how concerned about humanity they are, because they are wearing their mask to protect you from getting COVID. They are going to be the responsible ones. Well, I got news for you. It does nothing. This past weekend on CNN, Michael Smirkanich sat down with Anthony Fauci and they spoke about the potential return to mask wearing in light of the seasonal uptick of COVID cases and in light of the increase in the number of hospitalizations. Now, mind you, we're not talking about a big increase in hospitalizations. And even if there are, it's not overwhelming our healthcare system. There are a million hospital beds, and we're talking about several thousand COVID cases. And we're talking about people who might be at risk, people who might be immunosuppressed, people who may be elderly, people who may have suppressed immune systems. We're not talking about you or I. This is, this is again, trying to make this an issue in the upcoming elections. Fauci was concerned that people will not heed the recommendations of public health officials. Oh, shocker. People won't heed the recommendations. Why should they? We know what happened. You have to be either a person who has been sleeping in a cave for the last three years or dyed-in-the-wool democratic sycophant to believe that this is still a problem. It is not. And the measures that were taken in trying to stem this pandemic were wrong all across the board. Roach, let let me go back. You know, now with the FOIA um, uh, request for information from the public officials, including emails, we have a treasure trove of things that Fauci has written. We can really get into the weeds about the things that he said that he did that he believed you know we already know that he lied about 
gain-of-function research and about funding it to cover his butt because he, in large part, bears responsibility for a million Americans who died because of the introduction of a brand new virus into our biome that nobody has ever seen before. And he'll poo-poo it. He'll say, oh, no, it wasn't gain of function or it was something different or they didn't fund it. He is a committed liar. We've shown that, not we, but it has been shown by looking at the emails and by following the paper trail and by getting into the weeds of where the money came from that went to the Wuhan lab where this disease now is recognized to have arisen from, not from a wet market, not the bull that they were trying to push on the American public to cover their rear end. So in an email back in 2020. Well, way back, I guess it was in in the middle of 2020, Fauci said that masks are ineffective at blocking viruses. Um, he um, he wrote this email to then Secretary of HHS Sylvia Berwick, Burwell. I'm sorry. And he went on to say that masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading an infection to people who are not infected, rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring an infection. He went on to write that the typical mask you buy in a drugstore is not really effective in keeping out the virus, which is small enough to pass through the material. He said that it might provide some slight benefit in keeping out gross droplets if someone coughs or sneezes on you. So, despite this, despite his his understanding the uselessness of masks, he was responsible for instituting a mask regime which has affected individuals negatively in so many ways. He was responsible for people having to wear masks on airplanes. He was responsible for people having to wear masks when they went into stores. He was responsible for having your children, your your one-year-old, wear a mask. With children, there has been enough data that has come out about the negative impact of them having had to wear masks on their learning on their speech, on their socialization. He was responsible for that, despite the fact that he knew that masks were ineffective. What it was, it was virtue signaling to people 
that this is important. And if you question the dogma, like I did, and like Dr. Scott did, and like so many others did, you were a bad person. You were a spreader of disinformation or misinformation, and you should be reprimanded. You should be punished. You should be killed because you are a danger to America. The This was becoming settled science, just like climate change, the climate change fanatics, the climate change religion, where now if you say anything negative about climate change, you are a heretic, you are the disbeliever, you are the the crazy person. They tried to make you that same person with COVID and with masking and with with um, sheltering in place and working from home and doing all of this. This was the new science. This was settled science three years ago, if you recall. It didn't matter that so many people were critical about this. They questioned this. They they said that this is not true. There's no there's no scientific data behind it. But it didn't matter. You don't need scientific data behind this to make this so. I had a professor in training who often said, never let the data interfere with your conclusions. And this administration was, is notorious for that dogma, for that, for that line of thinking. Previously, it was almost a felony to question any state-sponsored propaganda. It was certainly a career ender, possibly a um yeah it would it would destroy your your life if an honest scientist or doctor questioned anything about masking but these very questions once her once heresy are now being asked by the same left wing propagandists that wanted to pillory the people who were asking these questions three years ago. The New York Times, for example, is such such a, uh, a source that now is asking these questions. And if you have a D next to your name, you can ask these questions on whether or not masks worked or not. If you are a leftist propagandist, in their echo chamber and you ask these questions, you challenge whether or not masks truly were effective. The th- same challenges that people were critical about three years ago, all of a sudden, you are now becoming a serious journalist. In January of this year, the British Health Database Cochrane released a study that concluded that there is just 
no evidence that masks made any difference. This was said publicly by Tom Jefferson, who is an Oxford epidemiologist and the study's lead author. In response to whether or not the N95 masks might have made a difference, whether they were more effective, Jefferson said that it makes no difference whether you use a paper mask, (coughs) excuse me, or an N95 mask, none of it, (coughs) none of it worked. Under extreme pressure, the Cochrane group attempted to walk this back a bit, stating that the study was being misinterpreted. And they said that it was inaccurate to claim that the study showed that, quote, masks did not work. And so they circled back to Dr. Jefferson, who stood by his original comments, and he stated that this study was the most rigorous and the most comprehensive analysis of scientific studies on the efficacy of masks and that its results were unambiguous, unambiguous. Masks, no masks worked at reducing the transmission of COVID, reducing the incidence of COVID, having any impact on COVID. So, in the CNN interview last week of Tony Fauci by Michael Smirkanich, he referenced this study, the Cochrane study, and asked what Fauci thought about this, about the fact that this most rigorous study, the most rigorous of its kind about masking, showed that it makes absolutely no difference. So at that point, and remembering what Fauci said or wrote in an email to the HHS secretary three and a half years ago, which was contrary to the public policy that he was responsible for implementing, he hedged when Smirkanich asked him that question. And he said, well, when you are talking about the effect on the pandemic as a whole, the data is less strong. But when you talk about an individual basis of someone protecting themselves, there's no doubt that there are many studies that show that there is an advantage to masks. Now, Smirkanich let that go. Typical of a CNN journalist accepting what their god, Fauci, has said. But whenever he is asked to cite 
some of these studies that show that there's any advantage to date, he is unable to do so. Just think about this for just a second. Fauci, a scientist, the head scientist in the United States, can't cite a scientific study. This is truly amazing. I, I'm a scientist. I can cite studies in my field that support some of the positions that I'm taking, the things that I do, the treatments that I give. I can support them with scientific studies that I can recall, that I can bring up. If I can't recall them, I know how to look them up and then come back and give you the information that you might be seeking. Fauci, the head scientist, is unable to cite one single study. Yet he brazenly stands before microphones and say, well, there are many studies that support what I'm saying. That's a crock of bull. Rand Paul tweeted, Fauci admits that masks don't work for the public at large, but still absurdly claims that masks work on an individual basis. More subterfuge, end quote. Buck Sexton, a conservative talk show host, posted, quote, Fauci confronted with the most definitive data I'm sorry, Fauci confronted with the most definitive data analysis possible that makes the claim that masks make zero difference against COVID. Not a little, not slight, zero. And he just mutters some numerical illiteracy BS about, quote, individual protection, end quote. He's a fraud and a liar, double end quote. Merkanich asked, if health officials again require masks, will America comply? Fauci said he is hopeful that they would. But really, where is this coming from? Have we not learned anything? This is pure politics. It is control. It is an election year issue. So I ask you again, who is wearing masks at this point still? Well, they're Democrats. They're virtue signalers. They're people who refuse to look at facts but are stuck with feelings, with emotions. These people are saying to the public, look at me, how responsible Am I? I'm very responsible. And how irresponsible are you? Well, this is, this is where we are. The federal response to the pandemic has been one catastrophic error after another. And there's been no acknowledgement, none whatsoever of this. And there's been a steadfast refusal to admit the errors. This position puts America at risk for lockdown relapse every year 
that we have respiratory diseases. If we don't put an end to this nonsense, we're going to be facing the same kind of BS, the same kind of crap that we're doing with the climate change dogma, the climate change zealots who are trying to control your lives. Stay tuned. You are looking at a shutdown. You do not doubt what I'm saying. You may have doubted it three and a half years ago. Do not doubt the fact that there are people who want you not to go to work if they say you shouldn't, who tell you to wear a mask if they say you should, who are telling you that you need to take a vaccine if they want you to. And there's been no accountability in the public health care policy sphere. Instead, the Biden administration has created the Office of Science and Technology Policy, which is intended to give policies the imprimatur of reliability. But the people in charge of them are the exact same people who were standing up these bad policies before. So don't let the official titles that they're giving fool you. You can, as I say, you can put a a ribbon around a, a box of turd and it's still a turd. And we are now on a break, so stay with us for the next segment of the Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. People all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group, and they wanted to join, but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now, everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we are back in the doctor's lounge. I'm done talking about masking and COVID and all of that for today. I just wanted everybody to understand that this issue is not over because the left does not want it to be over. This is how they try to maintain control over you. And that's what we are facing now, folks. We are facing a battle for the soul of this country where there are people who believe that bigger government is 
is the answer to all of our problems and they want to control every th- aspect of your life. And healthcare is a huge part of this. It is something that if you do not pay attention, you are going to lose everything that you hold dear, everything that you take for granted, including the right to make your own health care decisions. So politics is very much connected to health care, both directly and indirectly. And if you are complacent, if you sit on the sidelines and just say, well, this doesn't affect me, it will at some point. So you you must you must not uh, just just say that this really has nothing to do with me do something do something to try to make a difference in what's happening because if you don't you're going to wish that you had when everything that you hold dear is lost every month or two i come in here telling you about the healthcare news which is a uh, newspaper that is written by the Heartland Institute, which does a great job of reporting healthcare issues. And I highly recommend this for the listeners of this show. It's really easy to get this online. It's easy to get it in print. I like to do both. I, I, I subscribe to the Heartland Institute and, and I like to get the paper in my hands. I like to feel a newsprint on my fingers. And um, and if you really want to get a fairly comprehensive idea of what's happening in healthcare, this would be a really important thing for you to to uh, try to get your hands on. You can do this online at healthcarenewsonline.com. Or you can go to the Heartland Institute, the Healthcare News, but it's really a very cool periodical that comes out once a month. And I'm mentioning it to you today because I want to talk about some stories that were in here. I could probably come in here once a month and just go through the headlines in this paper, and it would really give you a good understanding of the issues that you need to be concerned about, and it would be a really nice smorgasbord, if you will, of healthcare issues. <clears throat> but the reason why not only am I talking about that today to highlight a few of the articles in here that I want to circle back to, but it's also to do a little bit of bragging about one of the articles that's in here that quotes me and highlights my practice which has been um, uh, termed one of the best in in the country, best in Atlanta certainly, and um, and I shared with the author of the article <clears throat> why so many of our doctors have been rated top doctors in Atlanta and why we have no trouble. Uh, attracting young talent, young doctors into our practice to continue to grow our practice and replace those of us who are retiring or close to retirement or 
increasing the size of our practice to grow it. And I shared with the people or the person who wrote the article that the secret sauce behind this had to do with the fact that we empower doctors to take control of their lives rather than allow someone else to tell them what to do, a hospital, a private equity firm, academic institution. And we have confidence in the um, ability of doctors to bet on themselves and build their practices. And that is a very attractive um, uh, message for young doctors, and that's why we've been successful. So I, I, uh, I'm, I'm real proud of what we've done in my practice. I'm really um, delighted that this article highlights that, and I would um, encourage everyone to go to Healthcare News um healthcarenewsonline.com and uh, read that article. It's, a, it's, it's really pretty cool. But what I'd like to pull out of the last issue of Healthcare News is um, something I've talked about a couple of shows ago, which is the um, GOP blueprint for healthcare reform. And um, and there are multiple healthcare think tanks. There's no shortage of healthcare think tanks out there who are coming up with their blueprint for the GOP. Much of it is redundant. Much of it is the healthcare plan, the blueprint for healthcare reform that the Tox for Patient Care Foundation came out with in 2014. This is just another iteration, but the things that we said back then are no less true today than they were nine years ago. And there are more and more healthcare think tanks, more and more individuals that are serious about health care, health care reform, health care protection for Americans. There are, there's no shortage of these of these groups that are now coalescing and embracing much of the things that doctors like myself and the people that I work with who are healthcare policy experts were saying almost a decade ago. And the fact that these messages have not changed, the fact that they still ring true, makes it even more powerful because there is sustainability. They've not gone away. And if one were really serious about protecting patients and giving them the ability to make their own health care decisions and not ceding it to the federal government who, as we know, blunders through this all the time, I just got through in the first half of this show 
explaining the blunders that were made in the COVID response. That's not who you want taking care of you. That's not who you want making the decisions that are going to affect you and your family for health care. You want to be the ones who are going to make those decisions. And how is that going to happen? <coughs> well, it certainly won't happen with a Biden presidency or any other leftist presidency. As you know, if you're a listener to the show, I don't say Democrat anymore because there are no more Democrats. There are only leftists. So I wanted to talk about one of the plans, which really is, again, a reiteration of things that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was saying a while ago, but it's now bubbled to the surface as one of the new plans that GOP candidates should embrace and message to people to encourage them to vote Republican. Choices for All is the Hoover Institute's plan, the Hoover Institute at Stanford University. And they recommend several key changes to federal programs. And what they are saying is that Congress should include a new type of tax advantage savings accounts to the health care landscape. They should expand tax deductibility to include out-of-pocket medical expenses. They should increase flexibility for state innovation waivers, which could allow the Affordable Care Act exchanges to offer a greater variety of plans. They should roll back rules limiting association health plans, and they should enable the creation of more plans participating in direct primary care programs. Now, this plan builds on previous policies, as I've said, while providing new wrinkles. And although health care is currently not spoken about much because there is so much noise surrounding so many issues that we are confronting as a country, it's predicted that health care once again will be an issue. It has been in every election since 20, I'm sorry, since 2008. What are some of the reasons why it's predicted that health care will once again be an issue? Well, there are 28 million people who are still uninsured. There are millions who are losing pandemic-related expanded Medicaid coverage. The cost of health care insurance is skyrocketing with no end in sight. For these reasons, politicians running for president will have no choice but to talk about health care. But the choice is going to be yours, the voters. What is it 
that you want for health care? Do you want the federal government to expand Medicare, Medicare for all? Medicare for all means that everything gets diluted. You are going to get less benefits because there's going to be a limited pool of money and there's going to be rationing. I just got back from Scotland where they have a nationalized healthcare system. But their healthcare system has run out of money. And so most of the people there have private insurance, which pays for the everyday stuff, you know, that they need. That nationalized healthcare is something that they rely on for their catastrophic care, for the stuff that is the big ticket items. And even then, the big ticket items might not be available to them if the people who are responsible for making the decision whether or not they're going to be able to be eligible for the care decides that that's too expensive, that they're not eligible to get their knee replacement at 80 despite the fact that they may be a robust 80, it doesn't matter because it's not individualized there. It's based on algorithms and age and and all these other metrics that you don't have any control over. Here, if you're a, a, a robust 80-year-old who is active in good health and has a bum knee and you want to get that fixed, you want to get that replaced... No problem. That's not true if there is a government-run program where they have to ration the care. Is it better to let an illegal alien who is going to be a worker in this country, who needs a knee replacement and has another 60 years of productivity, get his knee, versus you, an 80-year-old who worked your whole life and paid into Medicare? And... All of a sudden, the government has to dis- make a decision whether or not the- there are enough resources for you to get your knee replacement. That's that's what it looks like when the government controls things rather than you. Democrats want to spend more on government-run health care. So the Republicans need an alternative. The Hoover plan, the Hoover Institute plan, which I described provides a reasonable option. There are many other think tanks that incorporate this and other policies that are better than government-run care. Rather than create new individual health care accounts, why not just reform the current HSA system, which works really well? It'll. Why not allow the states more flexibility to create health care plans that the consumers need rather than giving them something that they don't need that embrace everything. Hair transplants, transgender treatments. I don't need health care that provides for transgender treatments, nor do I want to pay for it. 
The Hoover Plan calls for expanding the scope of practice, which I'm not so sure I agree with, so that patients could see a variety of providers. That's slippery slope, and that's a maybe a bridge too far. What that means is that you are giving people like nurse practitioners or PAs more ability, greater ability to take care of problems which they may be out of their element taking care of. And and so I, I think that there's a lot to be said about doctors taking care of patients. But this plan, it recognizes that. And they call for expanding residency training programs in this country, increasing the number of medical schools in this country, making it easier for foreign trained doctors to get into this country. Now, you need to be wary of that. You don't want to let anybody who's trained in in some backwater part of the world into this country. But let me just tell you that we just trained in my practice a pediatric urologist who decided that he wanted a better life for his family. And after being in practice doing pediatric urology for six years in Mexico City, decided to come to the U.S. with his family and get trained by us, which has been rated the number one private practice pediatric urology fellowship program in the United States by U.S. News and World Reports. And we trained him, and he's outstanding. And he has to jump through so many hoops to be able to stay in this country. Incredible, incredible doctor. And upstanding citizen, upstanding family. These are the people we want in this country. These are the people we want to import to the areas where there are doctor shortages. Do you know that in, in, I, I don't want to give you misinformation because I don't want to get called out by a local newspaper for doing so, but there are a dozens of counties in the state of Georgia where there's no doctor. Imagine if we let foreign doctors into this country with the stipulation that they had to go to rural communities. Imagine the the benefit to health care to people in rural America if we could if we could give them better health care by doing so. Imagine in the inner cities where there is a paucity of doctors to take care of the indigent patients. We made it a stipulation that people coming from foreign countries had to go into the inner cities to take care of patients for X number of years. What a difference maker that would be. If the cost of medical training is too great, we can use those same metrics, the same stipulations to pay for their, this, the education 
of young individuals and make them go to these areas to pay back. We once did that, no longer. One of the Hoover plans is to end Certificate of Need, that onerous program that I have talked about time and time and time and time again that restricts competition. And restricting competition holds back innovation and results in costs going up. If we ended that ridiculous program, it would benefit every American in this country. We should allow Americans to deduct medical expenses, to put individuals on the same level playing field with employers who are now getting the tax break for employee employer-based insurance. People are paying more and more out of pocket for their health care because deductibles have gone up, because co-pays have gone up, because insurance isn't covering so much. Why not give people the ability to deduct that from their tax returns? What's missing in these plans is price transparency and price competition. Hospitals are consolidating into regional cartels and they're snapping up physician practices and boosting costs by claiming services that are now provided by these doctors are actually hospital services. And this is a scam. This is increasing the costs of of care for everybody. So these perverse incentives are driving out competition. And patients are avoiding care because the costs are too great, because prices are uncertain, and surprise medical billing. So these are the ways that a Republican serious about being president can appeal to Americans who are hurting right now from a health care standpoint. And there's no shortage of these plans. And this would, it would behoove some of the Republican candidates to begin talking about this right now because this will be an issue and the people who get out in front of this early and frequently are going to be the ones who will come out ahead, who will be victorious with regard to this matter. So... um the other thing that I don't have time to talk about today is a great article that was in here that gave a shout-out to the president of our organization, Lee Gross, because of the role that he has played in directing legislation that would remove obstacles to direct primary care. And that is another important way that people can take control over their health care and be in charge with personalized care. It's called the Personalized Care Act, which would libera- liberate employers from serving as the de facto health care providers, but instead would give employees the ability to seek out 
better ways to get health care through direct primary care, which would be less expensive and better health care. And so there are bills that have been introduced to try this, – this is just a rehash of things that we were responsible for from Docs for Patient Care to um, get these bills introduced into Congress way back in in 2018, again in 2020, and now in 2023. This is why you need to support the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. So go to our website, learn about these bills, go to Healthcare News Online, read about this article, and um, I think you'll be surprised, you'll be pleased with what you're reading, because what we're doing is what you need, and what you need is to support the Docs for Patient Care Foundation so that we can continue to make the positive influence over legislators in Washington who um, are trying to do the right thing. So that's going to do it for today's show. We have we have another minute. Oh my gosh! I thought you gave me four minutes, David. Well, let me let me just say that um, the um, uh, we we are right now working towards getting the next direct primary care conference set up. We're not sure whether it's going to be in 2023 the way it's looking it will not it will be in 2024 so keep your eyes on our website to be uh to to find out when the exact date of that conference will be but um it will um uh once again uh be the preeminent conference devoted to uh, promoting direct primary care and helping to grow that important aspect of um, health care, which, as I mentioned a moment ago, is a, um, a direct part of the um, Personalized Care Act. So, again, now we can say thanks for being with us today, and I'll be back in two weeks with more of the Doctor's Lounge. Come back next week with my co-host, Dr. Scott Barber. Thanks for being with us. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.